0: Right. Welcome to the RevOps Review. I'm pleased to be joined by Sid Kumar. He's the SVP of Revenue Operations at HubSpot, where he leads worldwide go-to-market strategy and operations for the Flywheel organization, which spans across marketing, sales, and customer success. Prior to HubSpot, I worked with Sid, and he was the head of field sales operations at Amazon Web Services. Sid, welcome to the show. Thank you. Really excited to be here, Jeff. Yeah, it's been a little while since we were able to connect, but I've seen you pretty much everywhere on LinkedIn these days, especially when it pertains to the RevOps community, I think you have so much to offer. Uh, I'm curious to hear um, how things have been going for you and your world since we last connected.
1: It's been great. Yeah, it has been a little while, and I'm excited to reconnect on this topic. I know RevOps is near and dear to your heart as well. yeah, been uh, you know after we we worked together, I joined HubSpot. Been here for about a year and a half, and I lead, as, as you mentioned, the go-to-market strategy and operations across what we call our flywheel organization, which is effectively bringing together marketing, sales, and customer success together under a single org. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a a lot of build, a lot of transform, and and really driving this connected connective tissue across go-to-market. I think RevOps plays a really big role there.
0: That's amazing. I've become more and more of a HubSpot fan the last two years I've been working in and out of that ecosystem now, on uh, both the marketing, sales, and uh, just more recently on the customer success side. So there's a lot of good that I think the big orange has been bringing out. Um, so we talked about this before the show, but there are three fundamental like stances that I'm trying to hang my hat on uh, in regards to you know this particular podcast. And one is that, you know, RevOps serves as a single source of truth. The second, that RevOps should govern your go-to-market motion. And that third is go-to-market action needs to impact revenue. You know, conversions and leads are are simply not enough. And I think part of that that encompasses all three of those is data, driving insight and bringing better decision-making. I'd be curious, you know, to hear from you, you know, your stance on where you find relevant data serving a purpose to, you know your go-to-market strategy.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, I'll just tell you. I think data is really the fuel that drives you know a relevant and highly targeted go-to-market strategy. But I think it's easy to get get caught up in you know data for data's sake, right? And more is not necessarily better in this context. I think being really targeted and, and focused about what are you using the data for and how is it helping you connect your go to market strategy with your customers, right? And and one way I really like to think about it is start top down, really get a perspective of what is your total addressable market? And then what is the segment or subsegment segment of that total addressable market? You feel as a company, you have real the real right to win. You have great product market fit. You have um, real, uh, you know, presence and and awareness in that segment, or you need to go build towards that. And and then I think it's in that context, going and looking at what data do you need in order to understand the the firmographics, the demographics, technographics, everything about your prospects in that segment or sub-segment of the market, where you're really going to go orient your go-to-market motions around, and then getting smarter and smarter about your prospects and your existing customers uh, across really that entire buyer's journey. That's that's how I've, I would frame it, the relevancy side.
0: Yeah, I think that's a bit of a masterclass actually going through a, a TAMSAM uh, and SOM exercise. For those who are listening and not familiar, total addressable market, share of addressable market, and the serviceable obtainable market. And I've always heard this maybe about like what, 10, 12 years ago, folks would always talk about if we could only break into the Chinese market and grab 1% of it, we we would we would live like kings, uh, and when you start to like you know do a top down, sure that kind of works, but not really. You know, it's not a strong investable business case. You actually have to start you know taking a look at what segments matter, um, and generally, and I think the how you segment could be on the demographic, could be on a firmographic, psychographic, and lately with a lot of emerging technologies, the technographics also make a strong case, particularly in a world of Technological integration and having that ability to slice and dice along those dimensions uh, give you a little bit of a leg up versus you know the one percent argument that we just heard about. Um, you talked about data as fuel, and I always think about you know you can get raw data or raw uh, raw um, fossil fuels out of the ground, but you have to refine it. There's always different stages of refinement, and you can't just drive off you know with raw raw crude. You have to convert it from Brent crude to fine gasoline or whatever product you're going to use. How do you think about, you know, those signals, those data points you talked about when you what's the point at which the marginal benefit uh, or the marginal cost to get to the benefit, the data that you need just far outweighs the marginal benefit. At what point do you say good, good is good enough. We have enough data to move forward. Let's keep going. I think
1: a great, great analogy, by the way. Um, I I think it's one of those where you have to accept it's never going to be perfect. Is it 80 percent there? And going back to your your point on you know cracking a market like China and getting one percent, like I think understanding how would you go after that one percent? Otherwise, it's a very academic ham exercise, right? And uh, I think it's understanding what actual segments, who are the customers, who are the prospects, really understanding everything you possibly can. To a point where it's, you know, reasonable to get information about them across those different dimensions we talked about, but also balancing that with speed, you know, chances are if you think that's an attractive market, your competitors are going to think that's an attractive market and there's no such thing as perfect data as as soon as it becomes quote unquote perfect, it's outdated and it's stale anyway. So it's how much do you need in order to get conviction as a company? That you're taking a calculated set of risks and bets to go after that market. And going back to your point around, uh, you know, raw data and how do, how do I think about that? I really think about it as it, it's exactly right. Data by in and of itself is raw. It's what do you, as you refine it, it becomes um, a set of insights, which help you drive a set of actions through automation or through a human, right? So I, I often work back to, when you think about what data do you need, I, I really try to ask two, one, one of two questions. What decisions are you trying to make as a result of this data? And what actions would you take as a result of the data that may inform you to either stay the course, pivot course, take an all uh, new course? So I, I really do think it it, it, it you're kind of working backward from what is the objective, and you could and and then working backwards to get a very targeted set of data that is actually going to help you with your go-to-market objectives, versus let's just go fill our CRM with a bunch of data and we hope we go use it at some point. It's very expensive. It's very timely. It's probably not going to get you any closer to your 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 actual. Um, you know financial and growth objectives
0: so you talked about you know 70 80 percent of the information you have is it probably enough to get you there uh, that last mile uh, is probably left to chance um, intuition you de-risk the situation up to a certain point i actually think about that as a, you know, a bit of a situational awareness um, and you know when you have that information you can then figure out how many lefts are how many moves are left on the chessboard so to speak you can figure out what what moves to make you talked about bets you know i'm always thinking about uh, investments as kind of a corollary to that like what investments would we make so if it's a venture capital firm what companies or what spaces we want to be in for a company you know what enterprise initiatives make the most sense whether it's new products new segments you talked about three different paths that i think is really interesting staying the course pivoting or taking a new path I've actually seen HubSpot, you know, really lean in to um, HubSpot as CRM. In fact, I've seen a lot of its capabilities expand use cases for the sales audience. I'd love to hear, you know, you know, in your first year and a half, you know, when you walked into the firm, just a set of expectations in your mind. What has been surprisingly, you know, just just different than what you expected walking in?
1: Yeah, I think I think you're hitting on some of it. it it's it's a company I think that really got its roots in marketing automation, and I think a lot of people understood HubSpot from having you know coined inbound, and and really creating that motion of create value for prospects and customers, and and they will you know take they'll get value and engage with you as and when it's appropriate, uh, and they want to learn more and engage with the company right, but it's about all about creating value for customers, and uh, what was really interesting to me is to see. How that analogy just extends itself to two other uh, several other personas that we are now going after. that was a marketing persona. Now it's the sales persona service operations and you kind of look at each of these different uh, hubs that we, we, we have in the market that sit on top of this you know CRM and an extensible platform. And it is effectively that same story. It's how do we create value for that? decision maker, that user, that persona, um, and and really make it frictionless and easy for them in, in this SMB market. So one thing I was, I mean, I knew from the outside, but coming in, it's like the amount of focus we have on SMB is, is just, is really gratifying, candidly, but to see some of the outcomes that we're able to drive, where you see, you know, small companies out there that didn't have access to a lot of technology. Fundamentally kind of transforming their front office and how they're engaging with, with their, their end customers and, and their prospects to, to grow and then become, you know, a, a, a real sort of beacon in their communities, whether it's a small bike shop or whether it's a retail store, just it's, it's a lot of fun just hearing those stories. And it kind of links back to our, our, our mission of help millions of, of organizations grow better. And it's a concept of how do you grow better. These are typically going to be resource-constrained uh, organizations in in SMB that are different than larger enterprise. How do you make it efficient, effective, and give them that real, you know, front office uh, platform that is integrated, connected, and just really modular and allows them to grow with uh, with
0: the company. I think that's fantastic because I use hubspot for my own small businesses on the side uh it's very easy to set up but more than a front off uh, than than a you know front window for the business i actually see it as a strong back office play as well because it does have a bunch of connectors to you know my other invoicing or billing platforms now with smbs and sole proprietors or you know even smaller stage firms data can be really hard to come by um you know you don't always have third party enrichment tools that can provide you the best in data for for those segments. I, I did want to get to a point where we start thinking about, you know, pitfalls, do's and don'ts of collecting data, refining that data. Like, what have you learned in your experience? Maybe any relevant stories around things that have worked well, things that haven't worked well? I'd be curious to hear a little bit of both sides.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I, I think it's, you, you tend to get, you know, more data as a company starts to become larger and it becomes private, public versus private, right? That's just natural. Um, I I think there it's it's really looking at the balance between first-party and third-party data. And I think if you're uniquely looking at these segments of the business, we look at a very small business, we look at small business, mid-market, and then we call it corporate. Those are our segments. We're really focused on the sub-2000 market. And I think your level of first-party versus third-party data is just going to be a different mix depending on where you are in that segmentation. So if you go really, uh, you know, towards the bottom end of that in very small business and, and, and small business to that extent, a lot of them are private companies. They haven't been around for a ton of time. It could be startups for that, that just don't have a funding history yet. And I, and I think there it's really, I think if you focus on going back to creating value for those unique segments, and create you know the content you create the ability to try your your software you know through a plg type of motion you you start to get you know you you start to attract those users to want to give you that information because you're you're providing them value and so i think you're naturally going to have a bigger mix of first party data down in the in the lower end of the market and then you're going to complement that more with third-party data where where it makes sense in the um, you know looking at intent signals and things like that where you 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 start to go up up market. Uh, it's a there's no uh, I wish I had a, a clean answer on on that one but it's you know it, the data is the data that's available and you just got to do the best with it. But I think creating value and then creating a uh, sort of a pull pull mechanism where you know customers and prospects want to come experience the technology, experience the content uh, has really been the crux of inbound, you know, from from the beginning. So
0: that's what I would. Hope. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I never really thought about that concept. First part, first data versus um, third party data. Uh, the third party data makes sense to me because I I'm generally, as a revenue operator, supported B two B enterprise and sas and oftentimes you'll you'll purchase a third-party tool that will have that give give you access to firmographic data nowadays they give you a little bit more data around intent not necessarily on the psychographic piece but definitely on the technographic and we use a lot of that information for our sizing and our re in our, our territories and account allocation exercise but once you get down to you know the s the data it really comes to you instead, right? You don't really have you know, a strong data set that looks at every single, like you said, bike shop or every lemonade stand that's out there. That data has to come first party. And I think the businesses that win there have a combination of the ability to pull that data in because you have an attractive value prop that says, look, this is a viable option for a business pain that I have it's a solution in place. Let me try it out. And then that keyword is try so you know you can onboard into the product pretty easily through a plg motion Uh, and then from there they start filling in the gaps because say hey you know this is a really cool tool let me just start adding more and more to my profile and in fact as my business grows and scales there's going to be more information that's fed to the third party and i think at the end of the day the business that can pull the best and offer value over long term that still continues to fill those data gaps ends up becoming a business that has a superpower and that space and can now compete, you know, the other players who can't necessarily pull that first party data. So quick question for you, Um, you know, for the listeners that are out there, you know, you've, you've had a uh, really interesting and mixed, you know, career. I'd be curious, you know, along your journey, like, what were some pieces of advice that you've heard from mentors uh, or coaches of yours that have helped you get to where you are today?
1: Yeah, I, I think one is just keep a keep a learning mindset and, and stay curious, especially when you, you you mix, you know, tech, which is ever, ever changing and ever dynamic. And now you bring it with a mix it with another function like RevOps, which is, you know, I, I read on LinkedIn, I'm sure you saw it too, you know, highest growing or fastest growing job in the past five years. And I was thinking back to myself, I don't think I ever heard the term RevOps, you know, more than five years ago. So it's just interesting. It's a dynamically changing field. I think what it was versus what it is and what it's becoming are 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 quite quite different. And um, I, I think it's being really malleable, learning as much as you can, having a growth mindset, and and I think the other is just being willing to take risks. You know, take calculated risks, and you know, go learn another part of the business. Go do a rotation in a different function stay with RevOps for a second. If you're in sales ops and you've been in sales ops your entire career, go check out marketing ops, go check out CS ops. Um, you know, go look at, go look left and right of where you are and really get a full perspective of the customer journey or the buyer journey for your company. And how can you understand it from multiple different functional perspectives? Um, I mean, one thing that's helped me with that coming into this role is I've had the opportunity. I've worked in marketing, I've worked in sales, and I've worked in customer success in a leadership role in each of those. So I was able to look at when I'm talking to these different uh, functions, what are the things they're trying to sell for? How can I understand their perspective and bridge that gap with sales and looking at where those Handoffs or touch points that are often creating the most friction. What are those between marketing and sales? What are those between sales and CS? And there's obviously marketing and CS and, and so forth. There's all different there's infinite, there's not, not an infinite, but there's a number of different touch points when you really start to align around the buyer's journey as opposed to by function, right? And I think it's leaning into those and and learning and building relationships outside of maybe where you're focused today.
0: Wow, that's amazing! Hey, Sid, so appreciate you joining our uh, our show today. I'm gonna have just the three takeaways from your career coaching. Um, one is uh, just the learning mindset. I, I always love living in a world of abundance instead of a scarcity mindset. So I think that's hugely powerful. The ability to take calculated risk. I, I personally think you have to put yourself out there to find out what you know what you're worth. Um, and then lastly, you talked about you know putting the customer first and solving those friction. Likewise. Great chatting. Enjoyed it.